Good evening, Family Church, Waterlooville. Hope that you can hear me loud and clear and um, in our new venue, um, sitting here in Lys and um, loving this new setting, loving this new home that we're in. And um, just want to give everybody a few minutes just to, to get online and um, tune in. And um, didn't you just love the service this morning? Um, loving the live worship, absolutely. And, and the live service, you know, it just feels more normal, dare I say it. And, um, but just loving the, the live worship and brilliant seeing all that God is doing in the different nations of the world through Family Church. I wonder, you know, 20 odd years ago when Pastor Andy and Gina started Family Church, if they had any idea of the impact that they were going to have globally. And what a blessing to be part of that and um, to be praying for people, to be supporting people and to see all that God is doing in and through various people in so many different nations. It was a real blessing. So tonight... We're going to start right, step right in. And I just want to encourage you, if you've got your Bible ready, get it open at Judges chapter 6, verses 12 to 16. Get your Bibles ready. If you have notepad and pen, there aren't that many scriptures that I'm going to throw at you tonight. But um, we are going to read those four verses together a little bit later. So get them ready, get your Bible ready, and let's go straight in. So at the beginning of this year, you'll remember that Chris and I both felt that we had a word from the Lord about a mountain to climb this year. And that that mountain was not one that we'd be able to just speak to and cast into the sea, but rather that mountain was in, in front of us and it was a mountain that we would have to climb. Then at Empower Conference this year, Pastor Andy's, um, in, he, he, the, the title of the conference was called um, New Horizons. And the way Pastor Andy explained it is that those new horizons weren't sort of new, new horizons. They already existed, but that, that we would see them, see things from a different perspective. And so God's word all throughout this year to us has been come up higher and there's no better place than to view those new horizons from the mountain so we've been climbing this mountain this year and now that we're up on still still ascending when we haven't reached the summit we, we're getting there but we can we have, we have a better perspective of those new horizons and so tonight we're going to look at those new horizons, new perspectives, seeing things God's way. And tonight we're going to look at a couple of examples of people who did things a certain way and after an encounter with God, saw things from his perspective. Colossians chapter 3 verse 2 says, Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. In fact, I like what the Amplifier says. It says, set your mind and keep it set 
on that what it, on, on what is above, on the higher things and not on the things that are on the earth. So you by now know that your Bible is open, that Judges chapter 6, you know the one person we're going to speak about, first person we're going to speak about tonight is Gideon. And Gideon is between chapters 6 and 8 of Judges. I would highly recommend go and read it this week. It's such an incredible account in the Word of God. So I'm just going to sort of give you a bit of a background, um, a, a summarize, a little bit of a background. So we're not going to read the whole three chapters. But basically the Bible says that the children of Israel had done evil in the sight of the Lord. In, uh, what they'd actually done was they had turned to Baal worship. They were worshipping false gods. And the Bible says, and so the Lord delivered the children of Israel into the hands of the Midianites. And the Midianites and the Amalekites, big names, um, outnumbered the children of Israel in huge numbers. In fact, one part of the one part of the scripture says that they were as numerous as a swarm of locusts. I mean, have you ever seen a swarm of locusts? Can you try and count how many locusts are in a swarm? Thousands, thousands, but they were numerous in number. And what was actually happening was that whenever the children of Israel sowed seed into the ground, because by trade, really, the children of Israel were farmers. And so they were used to sowing seed. But what it would happen is as soon as they sowed seed in the ground, these Midianites would come and pull out the seed that they had sown. Or when, the, when perhaps if they missed some of the seed that was sown, the children of Israel would, would harvest some of their crops and again, the Midianites would come and just steal and take away um, their, their, their crops from them. And so slowly but surely, the children of Israel were being starved to death. Um, and to such a point that they actually started living in dens and caves. That was not the way for the children of Israel. That's not the way that they were used to living. But um, it had a huge impact on them. And it says in the Bible there in Judges chapter 6 that eventually, after living like this for seven years, the children of Israel cried out to God. Yes, after seven years, praise God. But prayer was their last resort. And we know prayer should be our first resort, isn't it? We should go to God. Go to God first. And I love for what, what happens is this. Because they cried out to God, God sent them a prophet. This prophet is unnamed in the Bible. We don't know his name. But what this prophet does is he reminds them of all that he had done to deliver them from Egypt, from slavery, from bondage. I love this, how God reminds us of the milestones that he's brought you and I through Sometimes it's good to look back, not to the tombstones, but look to the milestones where God has brought you through. And what he had done for them, for the children of Israel, earlier, 300 years earlier, he would do again for the children of Israel in that hour. Talk about God's faithfulness and his consistency and his patience. What I love, though, is that 
God didn't respond to the children of Israel until they cried out to him. And that's what we need to do. Don't just assume that God's going to intervene in your life just because he feels sorry for you. No, we need to cry out to God and ask him for his help. But we, that needs to be our first port of call, not wait for seven years. Okay, so we're going to pick up the account of um, Gideon. And Gideon is in the wine press threshing wheat. And I feel really sorry for Gideon because you know what? He's been given bad press because he's in the wine press. Now, if I was a rap artist, I would actually think of a song at this point. He had bad press because he's in the wine press. But that's as good as my rapping gets, so I'll, I'll save you the rest, okay? But Gideon wasn't hiding himself. He, was, he wasn't a coward. He was actually hiding the, 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 the wheat from the Midianites. And what he was doing, he was being sensible. He was, he was saving his family from starvation. That's why he was in the wine press. Because what the, generally, normally what would happen is, is that the, um, in order to, to, to separate the wheat from the chaff, the, the, the person would go up onto a hilltop and um, thresh the wheat and the, the wind would take away the chaff. But by doing so, he would draw attention to himself and could be attacked by the Midianites. So he was being really sensible by going into the wine press. He had a choice. We could either starve and I can go onto the hilltop or I can go into the wine press and provide for my family. So that's what he was doing there. And while he's in this wine press, um, minding his own business, just going about life after seven years of oppression by the Midianites, this is the way life is. Um, an angel of the Lord comes and appears to him. And we'll pick it up in Judges chapter 6. I know you're there already. Judges chapter 6, verses 12 to 16. And listen to this account. The angel of the Lord says to Gideon, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, O oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he said to him, Oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. What a discourse. What commentary there. And we're going to break it down. So first and foremost, God's perspective. The angel of the Lord appears to, to Gideon and says, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Gideon, at that time, was threshing wheat in the wine press. This man comes from obscurity. He has no great family lineage. He has no great family background. 
He didn't ask for an angelic visitation. In fact, I think when that, when that, when that angel appeared to him and, you know, he said to, to Gideon, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. I think Gideon probably turned around to see who on earth is this person talking to. He can't be talking to me, surely. And, um, and another point is, is that um, Gideon didn't know God personally. And yet he had so many questions and thoughts. And it reminded me of when, before I got saved, before I became a child of God, I remember for years, for years, I had so many questions. I'd go to God, whom I didn't know, whom I didn't serve, and I'd have questions for him. And so Gideon's perspective, he says, he says to this angel, he says, Oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all these miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, did not the Lord bring us out, up out of Egypt? So first of all, he says, if the Lord is with us. In other words, he has doubts about God being with him. In other words, if God is God, then why is this happening to us? And how many of us have said that? Maybe recently, maybe over the last year. If God is God, then why this coronavirus? Why is this happening to us? Or if God is God, why did that happen to me all those years ago? I don't have all the answers for you. But I do know one thing. That God says, I will be with you in trouble. That he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will be with you in trouble. He doesn't just remove all the difficulties from our lives, but he is with us as we go through the valley. Then he goes on and he says, where are all the miracles our fathers told us about? So Gideon had no personal relationship with God. He didn't know God for himself. He only knew what his father had told him of what God had done for them previously, of God's great deliverances. But then comes Gideon's biggest stumbling block. He says, but now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. God hadn't forsaken them. They had forsaken God. This And this is the key thing. This is Gideon's key stumbling block, thinking that God had forsaken them. But you know what God's, listen to what God's response, God's perspective again. The next verse, God says, go in this might of yours and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. He doesn't even address Gideon's unbelief. He just sticks to the word. Doesn't, and sometimes I think we come to God with full of unbelief. You know, God's not that concerned about your unbelief. Just what does he say? That's what's important. So then, so God says, go in this might of yours. Gideon replies, Gideon's perspective again. He says, oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my father's house. In fact, the message translation says that I'm the runt of the litter. I'm, I'm like the most 
least likely to survive. <laughs> he doesn't have much self-confidence. He really lacks confidence. But I think that he's actually speaking here from like a position of, of he's being modest. Because if you read a little bit further on in verse 27, it says that um, he took 10 of their servants. So it's not that they were poor. They, they were quite well off. But he's just lacking in confidence. And then God's perspective again on, his, on Gideon's response is, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. And he's not speaking here about giving Gideon self-confidence. It's about giving, giving Gideon God confidence. He says, surely I will be with you. Most certainly I will be with you. And up until this point, Gideon thinks that he's actually speaking to a man, just a normal human being. But slowly you can read the, you can read the thread. He's tone changes and the use of his words changes. In verse 13, he calls the angel of the Lord, Lord, with a small L. Then in verse 15, he calls him Lord with a capital L, and that word is translated Adonai, Lord God. And so all of a sudden, things start happening. You know what it's like sometimes you're talking to somebody and you think you're talking to someone else and the penny starts dropping. So Gideon asks the angel for to show him a sign of who he is. So Gideon goes away and prepares the angel a meal. And he comes back and he places it on a rock. And the angel touches the rock. And fire came out of the rock and consumed this food. And suddenly Gideon realizes that he's seeing an angel of the Lord and he's seeing him face to face. You must know, Gideon had never experienced anything like this in his life. He had never experienced anything supernatural before. This is his first encounter with the living God. And God's first words to him, Peace be with you. Do not fear, you will not die. <laughs> words of encouragement. So Gideon built an altar there and called it the Lord is peace, Jehovah Shalom. So Gideon experienced for the first time in his life peace with God and then he experienced the peace of God. Gideon had an, had, had an experience, he'd had an encounter with the pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. And this is Gideon's very own, it's like his own Damascus Road experience. And he encounters the living God for the first time and everything changes. He has a change of heart. He has a change of mind. He has a change of perspective. He no longer sees himself as the runt of the litter he rather sees himself the way God sees him, as a mighty man of valor. He realizes God is with him. God has not forsaken him. 
and that he is a mighty man of valor. And as soon as this change happened in Gideon, as soon as his perspective changed about who he was and he saw himself the way God saw him, his behavior changed. He was no longer going to stay stuck in that wine press threshing wheat. God had appointed him to defeat the Midianites. So his entire life, his family life and the children of Israel's lives were going to be changed by this one man, Gideon, because of his encounter with the living God. So he got to work straight away. First thing he did, he went to the to the to the um, the altars of Baal and Asherah. They had all kinds of um, of altars built for various gods, agricultural gods, and all kinds of things. And he started by tearing down these altars of Baal and these altars of this agricultural god, little G, and um, and Asherah. And then he went around gathering people because now he's going to fight the Midianites who are huge in number. So he goes around gathering all these people and he gathers 32,000 men to fight. And um, it's so amazing because first of all, God says, there's too many of you. So hands up those of you who are afraid. And guess what? How many of them went, put their hands up? 22,000 put up their hands and said, no, 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 I'm not so sure about this. God sent them home. So he was left with 10,000 men. God had a look, said, no, sorry, it's still too many. He gives, he gives them a process, those who drink the water with their hand or those that lap like a dog, and he decides you separate the two groups and the ones that drank in a certain way, there were 300 of them. He said, okay, you're the guys. The rest can all go home. So out of 32,000 men, God allowed Gideon to keep 300 against 135,000 Midianites. Why? Why did God do that? I believe because the Bible says that it's so that Israel didn't get full of pride and didn't take credit for defeating the army. God wanted to show himself strong on their behalf. This isn't about having natural strength. It's not about being strong physically. It's about trusting in God. It's about relying on Him. It's about relying on His strength. And the way that we do that is by humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God. Because the Bible says that in due season, He will exalt us. But we first need to humble ourselves. God resists the proud but he gives grace to the humble. So this Gideon goes down to the enemy's camp. He creeps in at night. And you think, oh, he's a coward. Well, you go down to the enemy's camp of 135,000 in broad daylight and see what the result would be. I would have also gone at night, undercover. That's what, that's what you do, isn't it? So he goes undercover to hear their plans. So he's not a coward. He could have been killed. And he... He listens into a conversation uh, of, of an interpretation of a dream that one of, the, one of the enemy have had. And the way it's interpreted is that they are talking about how Gideon is going to overcome them. 
that must have inspired him, hearing them talk about him, good old gossip about Gideon. And so eventually Gideon and his motley crew of 300, they go under cover of darkness, 300 of them armed with a trumpet and a torch. And they surround the camp of the Midianites. And um, they, they just blast the trumpet and break open these torches and they all shout the sword of the Lord and the sword of Gideon and what happens is the Midianites wake up and they hear this horrific noise they become so worked up and so agitated by it all they started killing each other and wiped each other out and the rest ran away so Gideon defeated the army not by might not by power but by the Spirit of God. You know, Psalm 20 verse 7 says that some trust in horses and some trust in chariots, but we trust in the name of the Lord. Gideon's behavior changed as a result of his thought life. It changed when he got a perspective of what God said about him. And just some pointers about Gideon that I just want to highlight because I know Gideon is known for the guy who throws down fleeces. He tests God. Now, as New Covenant believers, we shouldn't be doing such a thing. We don't say to God, well, if this is you, we're not going to put him to the test. That's not the way as New Testament believers, we are led by the Holy Spirit. We are led by the Word of God. We're led by the inward witness, but we don't say to, we don't put God to the test. But God demonstrated his love towards Gideon by saying, it's okay, Gideon, if this is what's going to help you grow in your confidence of who I am and who you are, it's okay. God allowed it with Gideon. But in the New Testament, God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to clean up our act first, get things all together. God is a faith God. Jesus went to the cross with you on his mind. You are the joy that was set before him. And that's how God demonstrates his love toward us. But as soon as Gideon changed perspective, as soon as he realized that God was with him, that God was not against him, he went on and did these mighty acts and deeds. So when you're in a trial, remember, God is with you. He is for you. He is not against you. Don't take the test or the trial that you're going through or that you, you, that you went through, even if it's some time ago. Don't take it as a measure of his love or his acceptance of you. That maybe he no longer cares for you. That, that he no longer loves you. Change your perspective. Change your perspective. John 16.33 says, In this world you will have trouble. Sorry, sorry, Christian, but that's a promise from God. You will have trouble. In fact, the Amplified says it even better to make sure we understand this. He says, in this world, you will have trouble, tribulation, and trials, 
and distresses and frustration. But then he goes on, he says, but be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Remember, we went through it on the fruit of the Spirit. Speaking about the joy of the Lord is your protection. The joy of the Lord will protect you from anger, from bitterness, from doubt, from fear. Be of good cheer. Be, take courage. Be confident. Be certain. Jesus says, I have overcome the world. In Hebrews 11, it's the Hall of Faith. We call it the Faith Hall of Fame. And all these brilliant men and women of God are listed there. By faith, Abraham did this. By faith, Sarah did this. By faith, Noah. And right near the bottom, in verses 32 to 35, the Bible talks about Gideon as one of those. It says, out of weaknesses were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the army of the aliens. What a fantastic description of, of the faith of Abraham. And just this morning, in this morning's worship, Smudge led us in a new song. And I'll try to write down the lyrics as fast as possible. And there went something along these lines. It said, I'm not afraid to show you, God, my weaknesses, my failures, my flaws. You've seen them all. You've seen them all. You turn shame into glory. Only God can do that. You're the only one who can. You know what? God knows everything about you and me. He formed our inward parts. He knows our thoughts from afar. Before a word is even formed, he knows it all together. He knows the intents and the purposes of our hearts. Nothing is hidden from God. Nothing comes as a surprise to him. But he sees you. He knows you. He calls you. He seals you with his Holy Spirit. Romans 4.17, the Bible says that God calls those things that be not as though they are. And that's what he did there with Gideon. You mighty man of valor. He saw potential in, in Gideon. He called him. Gideon wasn't acting like a mighty man of valor. But he called those things that be not as though they are. And when Gideon got that perspective, when he understood who God was, that he hadn't forsaken him, he saw himself in the same light. And it's the same for us. God calls those things that be not as though they are. Maybe you don't feel loved. Maybe you don't feel accepted. But call those things that be not as though they are. Child of God, you are loved. You are chosen. You are accepted. You are blessed. You are adopted. You are redeemed. You're saved. You're set apart. You're chosen by God. God calls those things that be not as though they are. God is a faith God. Faith comes by hearing. I want to ask you, what are you hearing about yourself? 
God calls those things that be not as though they are, and we need to do the same. We need to start declaring, I'm a mighty man of valor or a mighty woman of valor. I am loved by God. I am chosen by God. I'm accepted by God. We need to change our perspective. We need to get see things from heaven's perspective. See, our, see ourselves the way God sees us. 2 Corinthians 5.16, a beautiful scripture. It says, we regard no one according to the flesh. And that includes ourselves, not just our brothers and our sisters, but ourselves. Regard no one according to the flesh. Stop seeing yourself the way you used to be. Start seeing yourself the way God sees you. Get his perspective. It will change your life. It will change, it will radically transform your life. The next verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, says, If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Get a fresh perspective on who you are. Get God's perspective. Just because you failed at something doesn't make you a failure. Get a fresh perspective. Get God's perspective. And stop being impressed even by your own failures. Don't, don't do that. Don't live also by yesterday's regrets. Even the emotion of it all, you know, because we can become like, there's that tragic country and western song, no, no regrets, or something like that, I won't sing you'll switch off but something along those lines but let's not even get emotional about our regrets you know just think of Peter one of Jesus's closest disciples he was part of that inward three it was always Peter James and John Peter he's the guy who said he'd lay down his life for the Lord he's the guy who cut off the high priest's servant's ear in the garden of Gethsemane when they came to arrest Jesus this Peter denied Jesus three times. Imagine how he must have felt when he saw Jesus die. The regret, the overwhelming sense of shame, of guilt, of failure, condemnation. This was his closest friend and he'd allowed him to die. But God... But God, it's not the end of the story. Go read in John 21 how, how Jesus restores Peter. In fact, previously, when, when, Jesus, when Jesus says to, to, to Peter, he says, um, Satan has sought to sift you, but you, when, when you have been restored, you will go and strengthen your brethren. And that, thought, that prophecy came to pass because after... Peter was restored by Jesus, the risen Jesus on the beach at breakfast. We see no condemnation from Jesus, no guilt, just forgiveness. And then the next time we see Peter, there he is preaching in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. That amazing, that amazing preached message where 3,000 are added to the church that day. 
a few scriptures later or that, that same chapter, we see Peter has experienced and received the Holy Spirit and he sees the Holy Spirit being poured out on the church in the upper room. And everybody starts prophesying and speaking in other tongues. And there's a flame of fire upon every head. That Peter. Then Peter and Jane, Peter and John are walking through the, through the gate, beautiful. And there's the guy who's been born lame since his mother's womb. He was born lame. And he's been sitting at the gate begging alms. And Peter and John look at him and say, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I to you, rise up and walk. And this guy goes ballistic, he's walking and leaping and praising God. This Peter, this Peter, who raised Dorcas from the dead, how could he do it? He, he, Peter, he goes on and he writes two books of the New Testament. And I love what it is, he, he addresses it. He addresses it to those of like precious faith. That's you and me. We are of like precious faith like Peter. We aren't going to live in yesterday's regret, yesterday's disappointment. We're going to see ourselves the way God sees us. We're going to change our perspective. We're going to get God's perspective. And like Peter, we're going to live our lives forward. We're going to do the same as what he did. You know what? Maybe you feel that you've let God down in some way. If you have, if you have let God down in some way, repent. Repent. Change direction. Change your mind. Get, your, get God's perspective. Receive his forgiveness and move on. Live life forward. Maybe, maybe at this stage you feel pushed in a corner. Maybe you're going through an extreme trial and you're suffering setbacks and you're feeling disheartened and downcast. And maybe, like Gideon, you said, you've said the words, if God is God, then why? Where is the God of miracles in my life? You can stay there or you can move on like Gideon. Gideon was just an ordinary man. There was nothing fantastic about him. He doesn't come from any great family. In fact, he had the first underground church in the wine press on his own, out of necessity, of course. But he had a revelation of who God was. And from that, that Jehovah Shalom, that Prince of Peace, that received the peace of God, when he, when, he, when he had an understanding, a revelation of who God is, how God has never forsaken him, how God loves him, how God has a plan and a purpose for his life, that revelation changed his life. He realized God is with him, God is for him, God is in him, and God is not against him. And the same for you in the midst of that trial. God is with you. He is for you. He's not against you. The Bible says that in Psalm 139, it says, where can I go from God's presence? If I ascend into heaven, if I'm on the mountaintops, God is with me. And he says, if I make my bed in hell, you are with me. Even in the valleys, in the despair, God is with you. He will never forsake you. 
or like Peter. He was just an uneducated fisherman. I imagine he was pretty rough. In fact, in Acts chapter 4, when the Sanhedrin were, were interrogating him, they said, I can see that this man is uneducated, but we can see he's been with Jesus. Big difference. We can see he's been with Jesus. And we can be like that. You know what? These two guys, Gideon and Peter, they weren't superheroes. They were ordinary men with an extraordinary God. So what do we need to do? We need to get a fresh perspective. If we're in that trouble, if we're in that trial, we're going through, we don't know what to do to get out of the situation. Go to the promises of God. Know that God is with you. God is for you. Change perspective. See things from heaven's perspective. My closing is Paul, the Apostle Paul, who was Saul, who was persecuting Christians, who was on the road to Damascus when he had an encounter with Jesus Christ himself. Two things happened to Paul. A, a bright light shone and two things happened. He received new vision and a new identity. He no longer, he actually lost his sight for three days. But in that time, God was speaking to him and telling him who he was, how God saw him. He went on, wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. His, his legacy lives to this day. But he had a new perspective of who he is. He had a new nature. He wrote that scripture, to, inspired by the Holy Spirit, 2 Corinthians 5, 16 and 17. I regard no one according to the flesh, including myself. And if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. Child of God, that's you. That's you. Get a new perspective. Get heaven's perspective on your life. Come up higher. Set your mind and keep it set on things above, not on things below. God bless you guys. I'll speak to you. We'll see you through the week and hopefully again next Sunday. God bless you all. Good night.